So Brian, we sold our souls to the devil and we have a sponsor now. <laughs> and um, um We've made it, Brian. We got we've sponsored. made it. Yeah, it we happened. Fucking we it. fucking made it, dog. What's up, everybody? This is Josh coming to you with another episode of The Affiliate Marketing Show. Please be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to stay up to date on all the latest affiliate marketing news, tips, and trends. Today's episode is brought to you by Crack Revenue, an industry-leading adult CPA network that's been crushing the game for over 14 years with a focus on cams, dating, health, and only fans. They'd love to chat with you and discuss how they can help you earn more from your internet marketing efforts. Please find an exclusive sign up link in the description of this episode to start working with Crack Revenue today. Per usual, I'm Josh from OfferVault.com, the industry's largest aggregator of all things affiliate marketing. We also have Daddy Callbucks, Adam Young, hashtag it's a call track life. We also have the industry legend, Harrison Gewurz, as well as our special guest, Brian Fernandez, Vice President of Growth at DigiPeak Media, a performance-minded digital marketing agency that leverages their proprietary technology and expert strategies to create powerful powerful marketing campaigns i almost got through the whole thing i had a little slip at the end but i think overall it was okay what's up brian how we doing what's going on man i'm doing well how's that how's everything with you guys i'm out of breath uh well i'm not i'm not sure how everything is with us josh did you just tell us that you sold a sponsorship to like one of the largest affiliate networks for adult dating offers and content like these people pay millions of dollars a month out for adult commissions. Is that what That's you correct. Said? That's correct. Our buddies over at Crack Revenue, they love the show so much. They wanted to attach their name to it and to my body. You know, you're always joking about uh, replacing me with AI. So I actually had ChatGPT write a, uh, a prompt for them as well. And uh, I wanted to read it real quick because you guys could tell me who you think was better. ChatGPT said, looking to monetize your adult traffic? Look no further than Crack Revenue, the industry-leading adult CPA network. Hold on, hold on, chill, chill. The industry-leading adult CPA network trusted by marketers worldwide for over 14 years. With a diverse range of offers in categories like cams, dating, health, and OnlyFans, Crack Revenue provides unrivaled opportunities for maximizing your earnings. Join Crack Revenue today and unlock the potential of your adult traffic. Josh, what's their top offer? Their top offer is an offer that I love. It is called Jerk Mate. And I'm sure Harrison's very familiar with it no as well. No one's ever seen that offer before. I, I've never heard of it. What's that? Brian, I don't think you knew what you were walking into on this show today, huh? I'm actually familiar with Crack Revenue. I used to work with these guys way back when. Uh, at the time, we were doing some... Um, we were working with like roman and hymns and these guys had a competing offer at the time i don't know if i can call it out but very familiar Would with you them. it is a great network Another yeah i great got offer on the crack revenue network they're actually some of the first people i met uh when i came into this industry first time i went to thailand for affiliate world they took me up to that rooftop bar for drinks and i was like i don't want to hear about tight. adam's apples josh 
Okay. All right. So we do have people watching this show trying to get better at internet marketing. I think it's time we jump into it. Brian, I know you started your career way back in the day at CPX Interactive working with for Harrison. I'm not sure what the relationship was, but I know he was running the affiliate network. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience, what it was like working with Harrison back then and how it kind of shaped you into the person you are today? Yeah, so I actually started working at CPX Interactive in 2013. Um, so I graduated college in 2011. If you guys remember that time, right, it was like the worst time to enter the job market. And so I was forced to go into something that I definitely didn't want to do. I was in uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I don't know if you guys know about their manager's training program, but I figured, let me get a year in that industry, learn about sales, finance, marketing, and then go somewhere else. Uh, a buddy of mine was doing digital advertising, and he'd go out with us every weekend, and he'd buy bottles and tables everywhere we went. And I'm like, dude, you're 26 years old. What are you doing? And that's when he told me about digital advertising, affiliate marketing. And that's not something they were teaching in schools at the time, not in 2011. And so um, he put me on with CPX Interactive, told me he can secure a job interview for me, but couldn't guarantee a job. So I went over there and um, interviewed. I came with a brag book. Uh, don't ask me what that is. Pretty much long story short, they ended up hiring me. And I immediately loved what these guys were doing. Like the company was young. Everyone, uh, everyone was a go-getter. It was a competitive environment. Um, but what I loved most is that um, although it was a large organization at the time, uh, it, it felt like a startup. And um, I was hired there uh, as a junior salesperson, not knowing the industry at all. Uh, I kind of just went in there and it was sink or swim. And that's kind of like the strategy and approach that they had for me because um, there wasn't any training. I just sat along a couple of phone calls and then it was just fly. And so um started working and, and, and I didn't know anything about Harrison at the time. I mean, I, I think I was learning about the whole affiliate landscape and I was hired to diversify away from what they were doing. Uh, they were doing like browser extensions through like app Nexus, which is now Xander uh, doing a, a bunch of stuff with Google. But around that time, just like any other industry or vertical, there were a bunch of industry shifts coming along and new uh, regulations and compliance within that industry. So started working on just a bunch of different verticals and uh, you know, without being long winded here, uh, that's kind of like three months in is when I started to realize who I was working with and glad that I stayed friends with with, with Harrison, man. He's he, he's been great and, um, you know, really, really happy to be connected. I mean, I think you probably those three months where you got to know me is when I was actually doing work there. I'm honest. <laughs> and then I was kind of checked out. <laughs> I remember, you know, I, I, I wasn't made to work for someone, but. I remember you becoming the true biz dev king over there. So, uh, you know, you fucking killed it too, bro. Well, it was it was interesting, man. It's like we we had all this volume and we had all these successful offers, but I wasn't getting any commission for it. I could close those deals, but I wasn't being rewarded for it. So kind of had to find new areas of opportunity without knowing the industry. And I remember the first offer that hit, it was it was actually a biz op. And it crushed it. And that was the first time that I got a taste of what a true commission check can can look like. So if, if there's anything that motivates you, it's it's that just getting that that first like, you know, 
that like five figure commission check. And once I started to see what kind of money you can make in the industry, I was more motivated than ever to really make things happen. And um, actually, we got into paper call around 2015 when no one was really doing it. Uh, I remember we were running like auto insurance. It, it, it was a small area in, in this massive industry. And although, you know, we, we were doing well with it, it, it was like it was slim pickings for a salesperson because there weren't that many advertisers seeing uh, leads come through a call center. But I'm, I'm glad to see where it evolved now. I, I speaking of that, I remember when, you know, what now is, is not, you know, is aperture at the time. But I would come to you guys at shows and be like, guys, you got to get on ring. You got to get on ring. And like. It took me probably two years like begging I'm like guys it's just personal like i worked here and then you guys joined and i was pretty fucking excited just because it's like full circle it was super cool to have like you guys come on board yeah definitely. i also met i also met brian when he was at aperture and uh one thing i remember brian was that you always did the trade show circuit you were always on the grind you were always out at events and you were always responsive and willing to work really really hard and i think once you see that first commission check if you have the motivation to really put in the time that's what this industry is about it's about being compensated for the hard work i think when people see affiliates or affiliate managers or companies doing well in the industry they assume that it was easy but because we have a lot of fun but the reality behind our industry and i watched it as your career progressed over the years is that it really does take hard work and dedication to achieve really great results in the industry. And I think that's probably the one constant that I've seen in my entire career in performance marketing is that anyone who survives and thrives works very, very hard to make sure that they're doing a great job for all their clients. And that's something that I've seen you do over the years and something that I think you should be super proud of um, because there are a lot of people that get into the industry and don't put in that effort. Well, they then... think it's like a get rich instant kind of industry, and it, it can be if you fucking hustle and, and go hard. But if you coast, yeah, it's not it can work. be deflating, right? You're competing with hundreds and hundreds of companies that are selling similar products. And, you know, there, there are a bunch of hurdles that come within, especially sales, right? You, you have like these advertisers who have hundreds of emails in their inbox, and it's like, what's going to help you stand out. And so it's a lot of like resilience. It's committing to that, that prospect list that you have and, and just staying the course. And it can be deflating when, you know, you have that one prospect that, you know, you can add value to, but they're just not answering. There's also that up and down swing kind of aspect of the industry, which, you know, I can think of times that when we were working together, we dealt with that where an offer goes down or you're, you see revenue swings. And I think, uh, you know, that is also something that's not for the faint of heart. I'm sure you can think of people, I can think of people that were in the industry killing it and uh, you see them at a trade show or two or three and then you never see them again. And that's because something they were working on didn't work out. And then instead of just hopping back up, you know, pulling yourself up and figuring it out, they just bail. <laughs> so yeah, you can see that the shows too, right? Every year there's a new booth. Uh, there's booths that you were seeing for the booths that don't come back too. <laughs> Brian, I know you've been in sales your entire career from what we talked about before the show. So I'm curious, you know, this is kind of a loaded question, 
but what are some of like the biggest challenges you've faced or consistently see when working in a sales position and uh you know on the flip side of that like how have you overcome them come them and what are like the skills in your toolbox that you find yourself going back to the most to resolve any issues that do pop up yeah i mean aside from what i mentioned right like it's it's difficult getting that one blue chip marketer on board to take that meeting with you but it, it is a loaded question because there are a ton of hurdles uh within sales um, within the industry, as you guys all know, it's constantly involving trends become saturated or they die out and there's always emergent technology. So fortunately for us as salespeople, right, every client is different and it's not a one size fits all. And that was sarcasm right there, uh, because if you're dealing with a client that's accustomed to doing something uh, one way and you'll see that with people who are accustomed to buying radio or buying print. You have to educate them about the latest and the greatest, but uh, say that you you educate them, they don't always fully grasp the nuances within the digital ecosystem. But if you do manage to educate them and you finally close that deal that took you over a year to close, now you have to manage client expectations and deliver results. But in order for you to do that, all your your team has to be firing on all cylinders because the first part is like it's like the upper funnel piece right closing the deal and then you have to actually deliver on everything that you sold but um you know it's it, it's it's tough you just have to collaborate with your teams and manage expectations yeah i want to piggyback off that you know to me i think relationships has a lot to do with it from my experience in sales. Like, I feel like you can teach a good people person how to close. It's a lot harder to teach a closer how to be a people person. From my experience, just having relationships when, when people like you, they're much more willing to give you their money. So I feel like the more you can connect with people on a human level, human level, you know, ask them how they're doing before you go straight to talking business, right? Um, what's new in their life, revisit that old thing they told you that they're into. I think that has a lot to do with. I think with bringing kind the of, human element to business in general is underappreciated and very important. Sure. It sets you apart from others. Uh, Brian, I got to ask, is there a ghost on the computer behind you? Does it look like it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know. Somebody who is moving, <laughs> maybe they're checking in from out of the office. I don't know. But yeah, um, I, 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 there aren't any doors behind me, so. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. Uh, what's like, Josh? I mean, to your point, I think Brian's a great example of this. For you, you, we, I don't think Brian and I have ever done business directly, except for him being a Ringba customer working at uh, a Ringba customer's company now. But I think the reality is, every trade show or every single time Brian and I have been around each other in the industry, we've always taken the time to say what's up, say hello. And we have, grabbed a bite to uh, when he was in, we were in New York like yeah. months ago, six months ago, maybe eight months ago, whatever it was. And uh, like we weren't doing any business directly. This was before you started at, at DigiPeak. And we just hung out because we know that we're in the same space and we're going to touch, you know, base and hit each other's, you know, radar eventually. And it, it's just like humanizing business. For sure. And I talk to everyone. If you reach out to me. Even if there isn't an opportunity and I can plug you in with someone, I will. So I'll, I'll never have an email in my inbox that goes unanswered. I'll never not take a meeting 
um, I, I'm always willing, willing to help because, you know, people were willing to do the same for me. So I'm just giving back. So you went from doing affiliate marketing to selling performance media at one of the largest agencies in the world in her public group. Uh, what was it like selling performance strategies to Fortune 100 brands? You know, I know this kind of included a lot of different stuff from affiliate to connected to TV, programmatic, um, retail media. So I'm kind of curious, like, is it different when you're working with bigger companies like that? Do you find different challenges that present themselves? And then how do you kind of tie in all the different, you know, channels that I mentioned previously? A hundred percent. It's super difficult, right? Because oftentimes the performance teams or the affiliate teams are completely siloed from what the big agencies are doing. So it, it, it was going back to that education piece. It was a lot of educating the agencies first. And if it all goes well, they introduce us to the brands and then we pitch the brands. So pretty much uh, we were hired under uh, Interpublic's performance marketing agency, which at the time was Matterkind. Now it's called Kineso. They consolidated a few of their core businesses and just created um, the, the Kineso brand. But I was tasked with selling into IPG media brands, which um, consisted of uh, Mullen Low Media Hub, uh, media brands. Uh, there was Matterkind and uh, Universal McCann. So these agencies, when they deal with their their customers, they're selling upper to mid funnel strategies. They're not doing anything lower funnel. So I was tasked with selling everything from the mid funnel all the way to um, any low funnel strategy. So that consisted of affiliate. But the way that they did affiliate was a bit different than how we would do affiliate. You know, we when we do affiliate here at, at DigiPeak, we're a partner, we're a vendor, we're one solution in their overall stack. We would take over as an agency and we would have to we would have to educate them on what the latest is with affiliate. Right. Because when they look at affiliate, when the big brands look at affiliate, oftentimes they look at it as um, a way to get traffic through like coupon sites and extensions. But that wasn't the case. And it isn't the case anymore. Affiliate has grown and has evolved so much that now anything can be affiliate. Right. Um, your PR teams are working with social media influencers or they're working with the big publications. But those guys can be affiliates, too. It's just a different model. You no longer have to pay them up front to get an ad placed on their publication or to get a video. Now you can actually reward them for the performance that they're driving and you can measure your return on ad spend. Whereas before it was just giving them up from payment and whatever happens goes. And then you have connected TV, which was actually one of the favorite, uh, one of my favorite products to sell um, at CPX. They built a product, which was an acquisition um, and connected TV platform uh, called Flip. And when the pandemic hit in late 2019, 2020, and advertisers pulled back on budgets, people weren't riding the subways anymore. So they took out all the digital out-of-home dollars away from the streets. People were pulling back on budgets because of the uh, consumer sentiment and everything that was going on with the space. But streaming surged. Everybody started signing into the uh, the Hulus and the YouTube TVs and all of these streaming platforms. So those advertising dollars started to go into connected TV. 
And I was fortunate enough to get in there really early and close some pretty big deals while I was at CPX for that space. And I learned a lot. And being able to tie upper funnel metrics and connect them to like lower funnel metrics to give advertisers what they're getting on their ad spend was amazing. It was really like a mind. It, it was like an eye awakening moment for for advertisers. So now I, I see that it's more common um, in the digital landscape. Now you have like the TV scientifics, uh, the mountains of the world, and I'm sure there's a ton more that I don't even know of now. Um, and then you have retail media, which was the newest uh, product. And it's still a, a little bit nuanced for me because that uh, that area is always evolving. There's always like retailers and big box brands that are popping up. But essentially, um, if you go into like a CVS or Walmart and you see that product on the shelf, that's a great advertiser for retail media. And when all we did was essentially we took that data from the retail media. So say if you go to like a Walgreens and you buy a product, you type in your phone number. Now Walgreens knows what you're buying, uh, what you're interested in. And me being a competitive brand, I can go and say, hey, I want a conquest and reach a consumer that bought a competing offer through programmatic CTV, mobile, whatever it is. So that was really interesting. And we were selling all of that stuff on a performance model, whereas traditionally you buy that on a CPC or a CPM. And we were given these big blue chip marketers the visibility into what their ad dollars are doing. So that was pretty cool to uh, have those guys reach out to us as the uh, performance team at Matterkind and, and wanting to pick our brain on what they could do with performance. What was like the biggest pushback you got from those massive Fortune 100 brands? You see, that's the interesting piece, right? So as an, an agency, you have these upper funnel dollars and those dollars, say if BMW, for example, gives you like $60 million dollars to spend on connected TV, they're not really held to any lower funnel metrics. It's deliver viewability, uh, maybe some website visits. So I was coming in and I'm telling them that, hey, we can actually deliver dealership visits or we can uh, deliver uh, car builds through your website on a performance model. But the thing is that when you're selling it to the brand, it's great. But then you're taking dollars away from the teams that are managing those upper funnel budgets. And we were just getting in our own way as an agency. And so it, it, it didn't make sense for the team leads at the agencies to lead in with a performance approach because it'll just take budgets away from them. And ultimately, that takes away from their commissions. So it, it was it was a broken model. I think it, it could have been fixed, but they didn't fix it. And so it, it, it really didn't, it, it was, it was really difficult to sell through. I want to go back to Digi Peak Media for a second here and specifically your position as the VP of growth. Um, I am more asking from like a upper management perspective, but how do you focus on growing the brand and the company and specifically like, are there any metrics that, it, you know, that you look at to determine like whether you're doing a good job of that or is it more just kind of like a bird's eye view you take stock of where the company's at and it's you don't really look at numbers to determine the success of that what do you do every day like let's go there too like what's your what's your role for those that don't know what a, a vp of growth is, is focused on yeah so you know as a as a media buying company right our we're tasked with 
helping our agency partners and our brand partners engage, acquire, but also retain customers. And everything that we do here is on a performance model. So our core products here are all within um, like YouTube, GDN, um, and, and Surge. And so when, when, when I look at um, what's doing well for us, I go in, let's say Medicare. Medicare is the biggest vertical for us and, and and it has been since its inception right digipeak's inception and when i came in and i got an opportunity to work before i said yes to the gig uh they let me look under the hood so i'm looking at areas of opportunity so i saw who their biggest partners were and then i'm thinking about my network and who i can bring in and where i can make an immediate impact so when i look at what's doing well i look at the top buyers and i like going direct to the advertiser, the end buyer. Um, there, there's there's definitely great relationships that we have with agencies, but you know what what excites me really is closing logos, closing those blue chippers, and closing the the advertisers that uh, most folks have a, a difficult time closing. So when I put together my prospect list, those are the ones that I'm eyeing in, and I call it the diamond list, which are the ones that if I close, you know, I'm winning, right? And then I look at uh, tier two and tier three. But I look at areas of opportunity by vertical, but you also have to be forward thinking because I being in the industry for so long, I know that when you're riding that wave, it always comes crashing down. So is it going to last forever? I hope so. But if it doesn't, I have to have something on the back end, right, to, to, to pick up from um, what we're doing now. And so um, although our core products are insurance, Medicare, we also do a lot with consumer finance, um, and home services. We own QuoteWallet.com, where we do a ton of uh, solar, uh, roof and windows, bathroom remodel, HVAC, and so on. But within consumer finance, we were just doing um, like loans and uh, debt. But you also have to think about the next thing. And so I got the support to go out to Nashville for CardCon. And I went there with, with a clean slate. I had no idea what I was going to uh, look for or what I was going to do. I just wanted to keep my ears to the ground and see what was hot. I came back and now we're building new verticals. We're building uh, credit card and banking. And those are two massive verticals, especially for, for Google um, search and, and GDN. And, you know, we're, uh, I'm, I'm always looking to build. So to answer that question, I know that's so long when it uh, responds, but I'm looking at the top uh, advertisers per vertical. And then the next thing. Well, I think what you said there is the playbook for someone that wants to build a sustainable business. More often than not, I see affiliates going out and asking, what's the biggest offer? Where's the, the most opportunity? What's everyone else doing? And that's useful to a point. You can go see the ads, see what's going on and try and copy them. And a lot of affiliates will just rip ads and landing pages and try to ride a wave. But in reality, if you want to build a sustainable business, the, what you just described is the key to success. It is the answer to building a future for yourself. And that's going to a trade show where everyone else isn't and trying to figure out how to build a new campaign. And something like CardCon is amazing. You have all the credit card issuers and the banks, and these are trillions of dollars worth of market cap of companies. It's a show I've never heard of, but it sounds sick. Yeah. And so <laughs> to like go there and talk to them and introduce them to pay per call or introduce them to, hey, what we do is we make your phones ring uh, is an incredible concept 
And these big businesses want new customers. And just because affiliates aren't there today or people aren't there now doesn't mean you can't go and build the relationships and create a campaign from scratch. And when you do that, it's usually very sustainable. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of something. This is like open enrollment, like two or three years ago, mm -hmm. someone, you know, asked me new to calls like what's what's kind of the biggest vertical right now and i said well right now there's seasonal thing going on you know open enrollment i'm trying it i said you know you probably shouldn't you might want to look elsewhere maybe next year you know learn the biz whatever then two weeks later dude i tried it i got clobbered and i'm like yeah you're you're hopping into the most competitive time of year to to learn a new vertical like step step outside your comfort zone a little bit like I love that. I don't know anything about credit card offers, you know, but it's, I know that the, I know that the payouts are high if on approval and uh, that, you know, if you can figure it out, the, the potential volume is huge because people are always looking for new credit cards for different reasons. They want their sure. traveling more, they want sports card, or they need high balance on one card. They want to transfer it to a zero interest option, whatever it is, you know, like infinite possibilities. So I think that's super cool. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah, I had nothing. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I knew nothing about credit card acquisition, but I attended those sessions, the speakers, and I learned. And what's great is that the show it's 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 not that small. It's not as as, as small as I expected it to be. But everyone you reached out to was taking meetings, and and you're right, it is early on because they're used to the credit card issues. They're used to working with the large publications and with like influencers on YouTube and stuff like that. So when I come in with um, my solutions, my products, you know, it's it's a lot of educating. Again, it goes back to educating that uh, that end uh, prospect into what they could be doing, and then eventually getting them to bite. So now I'm dealing with compliance teams at credit card issuers. So I'm building everything here. So this I, I'm outside of my sales role now. Yeah, I, I got the deal, but now I'm actually building the product. So that's interesting because now I'm dealing with our copywriters. I'm dealing with our our uh, our video teams. We have a we own our content studio. They're based out of LA. So I'm dealing with them and I'm educating them on the nuances within this space because it's a very restrictive industry. Um, the images have to be exactly as they are for whatever this month's image is. The APRs are constantly changing, interest rates, and you have to be on top of it. So I'm I, I'm learning a whole new skill set outside of scales just building this vertical. But it's it's been interesting and and it's going to be lucrative for the business. Brian, uh, I was on your site earlier today and I saw uh, the area where you're kind of promoting the partners that you guys work with. And I know you got some monster companies on there like Google, Meta, Yahoo, TikTok, along with a few others. So I'm curious, like, how do you get your foot in the door with a company like that? And do you have to kind of nourish that relationship or nurture that relationship as time moves forward or once you're in you're kind of in and you don't have to worry about it so these guys had a relationship with the google teams before i got here so not exactly sure how it was built but i can tell you what, what they're doing now so uh we we actually got promoted 
from our, our team. So we work with them very closely and they invest into us. It, it seems almost as if they're an extension to our team because we they do share reports with us. Actually, in fact, the first week I started working here, the Google team, uh, we had a few folks from the West Coast fly out and we had uh, some support from the New York team come into our office and give us a presentation into like the latest trends of 2024. And we went over the um, some of our successes for 2023 and how we could replicate it and then some. So having that support from Google, uh, you know, that was incredible for me to see. I've been at a few companies and we've never done a think tank like that. Um, but but beyond that, we get on weekly calls with them. Right now we're dealing with the um, the I think it's called the accelerator. Yeah, it's the accelerators growth team. We just got promoted to LCS, which is large customer support. And those are the teams that deal with the blue chippers. You know, now we're in the same sandbox as Procter and Gamble and so on. So that just goes to show that, um, you know, we're doing well. Um, we're, we're, we're spending a, a ton. I remember during AEP, just my first week in here, uh, they were spending like over a million dollars in ad spend. Uh, we do over $60 million a year and just spend uh, through through Google alone. And so uh, we're, we're going to double that. Uh, well, hopefully we double that, but we were still growing. And I think getting promoted to that LCS status uh, just goes to show that they're seeing the efforts that we're putting in. But even more so, um, a few weeks ago, our CEO got invited by Celine Song to visit their offices for a meeting. And they went over the success that we had in 2023. And again, just to go, goes to show what our ideas were for 2024 and what uh, tech and solutions we had and what proprietary uh, technology we were building, building internally. And it, it was a great meeting. And, um, you know, it's, we, we really lean on our, our, our Google teams for support here. So everybody's trying to increase their visibility online Another loaded question for you, but in your opinion, like what are some of the best ways for companies and brands to really achieve that goal? I'm sure like, you know, Google and paid ads plays a big part in that, but outside of that generic, you know, umbrella, what are like some tangible actions people can take to really get their company out there when it comes to the internet and internet marketing? So do you mean as a company as like DigiPeak or as a company as a brand looking to increase their online presence? How about however you want to answer it is cool with me. <laughs> well, um, you know, outside of what uh, I do with DigiPeak, I'm actually building a product myself. So from a product perspective. Yeah, let's know, do that. Let's do that. You know, there's the upper funnel, there's the mid funnel, and there's a the low funnel, right? When I was at Interpublic Group, you had these big brands, well, mid-sized brands that really weren't doing much outside of um maybe like programmatic or some social. And I would always tell them to maximize what they're doing on um, on social and display before they can add an, a performance marketing strategy if you're a brand. But if you're just a direct-to-consumer product, you can go to uh, Facebook or YouTube. But if you're looking to build a brand, you really need to have that brand visibility. So, you know, buy programmatically, uh, do the upper funnel stuff. Then you go towards the mid funnel and then you eventually add affiliate into your performance strategy. But as a company, if you're looking to increase your online presence or you're just looking to increase your visibility across the industry, just be everywhere. Um, market yourselves, be at the trade shows, uh, put out publications on LinkedIn, uh, do things like this. Offer, you know, the uh, affiliate podcast. Like, put yeah, your cool enough to get on the list. 
put yourself out there as a company make sure people know who you're who you are and if you're a performer and, and you do good by your partners they're going to talk their word of mouth is going to spread and people going to they'll go to you organically I love that you mentioned trade shows. We we can't emphasize it enough. So many people avoid trade shows. They're just like, oh, it's a lot of work. I got shit to do. I can't do it. There's too many of them. Like, if you're trying to build business, if you're trying to get those blue chip customers, like, you're not walking into the door of a Fortune 100 company and pitching them with a brochure. This isn't door to door sales. Like, you got to make yourself seen, be heard. You got to establish credibility. And uh, trade shows are. A phenomenal place to do that even though yes it's tiring and you got to travel and you got to spend money at these things and stuff but when you figure that out it's i mean we've benefited you know hugely from that there's been like multiple huge companies that have become customers and those conversations started with like a handshake at an event we sponsor or something in hell you and i met at a trade show and we're going in a, what, next week, Tuesday, up to Georgia for a trade show that we've never been to before. And they even... I don't expect it to be a huge one, but I expect there to be some truly great companies in the home services space. It's a home services event. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And, uh, you know, we're in, we're in it. It's a brand new show. New shows are a bit, you know, slower sometimes, but we we believe in investing in shows for the longevity of them. And, and you know, we know that there will be some some true potential customers there. That's what, that's all we want. Yeah. I mean, I'm all even, takes is one. I'm even speaking at the show. Right. I've never been before. I don't know what the audiences look like. And so for me, I have to somehow come up with a presentation that's going to fit an audience that I don't understand. Uh, just like you, Brian, I'm willing to take that risk and go to the show and learn, even get up on stage and talk to people that I don't know. And I don't know how they're going to respond. And so I may even adjust my presentation after I walk the floor to try and figure out who these folks are and what I can learn from them and, and how to connect with them. And I don't actually expect to close any big deals at this show or to close any deals. I just expect to learn from a bunch of people, figure out who's in the space, figure out who the right contacts are and the, the players that I should be looking at and learning about. And over time, will end up getting a, a result from it, but it could take, uh, you know, two, three years even. It all takes one, like Harrison said. Um, and I, I'm a big advocate for trade shows. I've been fortunate enough to have support from every company that I've been at to go to, to attend these trade shows. And there hasn't been one trade show where I've shown negative results. So um, it, the numbers speak for themselves. Brian, yeah. I got to get some tips from you then, because I can say that there have been trade shows where we have not gotten business from. I can think of one. I'm not going to mention the name, but I will name it. Name it for, for Adam. <laughs> we went to this trade show. We got like zero. We got one client, actually, but someone got so drunk they fell and made our table collapse. Like no. not like not one of us, a random person. An attendee. Yeah, we were standing there and she literally fell hit the edge of the table. It was like a meat market style table. And like the liability. We're not getting clients. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, generally speaking, you're right. Especially when they're industry specific shows, we know what we're looking for and, and we find some value out of them. There's three sure. things. There's three things in life you can count on guys, death, taxes, and Adam just crushing every presentation that he ever does. He is a monster. If you're going to this show, make sure you check it out. Adam and Harrison, I got a two-part question for you. I think it'd be fun if one of you answers one and the other answers the other. 
So question one for whoever takes it, you have zero dollars. What's the best way to get your company out there and more known? The other part, you have $100,000. What's the best way to get your company out there more known? One of you take zero, one of you take 100. Who's taking zero? I'll take zero. I, I would first and foremost utilize my network and spread you know the word about what I'm working on and what I'm doing. Um, and then, you know, I would jump on any opportunities to put my face in front of people. Um, maybe I'm not, I don't have any money, so I'm not buying a, a ticket to LeedsCon or whatever. But if I can find free networking events in the town that I live in, I'm going. Um, I'm actively posting on like all Facebook groups, forums that I can find, Skype groups. I'm going to probably send so many like connection requests on LinkedIn that my account gets flagged and I can't add people anymore for a certain amount of time. Um, look through old data that I have and reach out to people through that literally like do whatever I can. I mean, if I get desperate, I might start doing DoorDash just to get some money to buy some ads, but you know, it's, I'm willing to take desperate measures, you know, fuck it. <laughs> and I think the, the hundred thousand dollar version of that question is to try to spend as little as possible, but create replicatable systems of exactly what Harrison um, describe the first thing I would do if I had a product and I was selling and I had a hundred thousand dollar budget would be to find someone like Brian who was earlier in their career that I could bring on and take under my wing and train and have them start working exactly the way that Harrison described so that I could focus my time on whatever I'm best at. For me, that just happens to be things like leadership, vision, marketing. And then I would take some of that $100,000 budget and try to create viral campaigns or campaigns that are super highly targeted towards the people I was looking for, and then have my team member field those leads and try and sell to them. I don't necessarily think I would need a full $100,000 budget or would really scale a $100,000 budget because what I would try to do is create a self-liquidating offer type situation where I am spending a dollar and getting a dollar back. If I'm spending $20 on a lead and my sales guy's selling something and closing some of those, I'm then going to take that revenue and roll it back in. And so I would literally pay myself nothing, even though I had the $100,000, I would reduce my personal expenses to near zero as possible. And then I would put every dollar uh, with care back into what I was doing until I could create a lead flow and a model where I had salespeople selling the products I, I was working on. And most people don't know this, but Harrison and I did not actually take any sort of salary from Ringba until 2021. And we are far from the highest paid on our team. In fact, most of our team um, makes just as much or more money than we do. And I think no matter what your budget is, if you're a new business or you're an entrepreneur in the space, you should try to live off as little money as possible and reduce your budgets for your personal things down as low as possible and invest every dollar you possibly can back into the business so that the you, eater, you can the grow. leader eats last mentality is yeah. something that I think shows commitment, dedication, and benefits not only the longevity of your business as you're growing it, but also the morale of your business as it as it's becoming a you know, as you're building a, a culture and establishing something within yeah. an organization. And back when before Ringba, when Harrison and I were affiliates ourselves, we did very well, but we did we didn't spend the money. 
we actually were able to take that money and use it to fund Ringba. And so we weren't sure what we were going to do when we were affiliates, Josh. And when we started, our budget was a media budget that was a little bit bigger than $100,000. In fact, Harrison called me and asked me to send CPX Interactive $500,000 by the close of business day with no contract or real understanding of what we were doing. And I did it, which was stupid. Don't do that. Always have an agreement. No paperwork. Um, but in that case... It wasn't necessarily like, what, we, what were we doing with the money? We, we were buying media and we knew that the campaign was going to be successful. So I was going to get my money out of the media. That wasn't necessarily an issue. But I think that creating an environment when you start to achieve success and saving that money and being very prudent with it so that you can continue to invest it is the best thing you can do with a budget of any size because when an opportunity comes around to buy something or grow your business you need to have capital available to do it and there's this sign above me right here in the middle that says offer vault and harrison and i did not uh, found offer vault but one day the owner of offer vault decided they wanted to sell it and it was a very expensive purchase and harrison and i decided that we were going to acquire it and the only way to do that was to have cash available that we didn't spend um ourselves personally and so we've always been very conservative about that and so no matter what the budget size is josh whether it's zero hundred thousand half a million million whatever being very conservative with that budget and spending it where you know you can get a return and working on actually generating a profit so that you can reinvest those profits back into the business is the playbook regardless of budget size Brian, I got one more question for you before we let you get out of here. You know, going back to DigiPeak Media, I know there's a few different areas of expertise you guys focus on when it comes to advertising and marketing. This includes pay-per-click, social media, email, search engine, as well as lead and call generation. So of those, I'm curious, which of these consistently proves to be the most effective and kind of provide you and your clients with like the best return on their investment? Uh, I'd say right now, uh, we're, we're bigger with calls, but we're doing a substantial amount with web leads, but it's really our formula. That's the winning formula for our partners. So if, whether you're looking for calls or leads, we need to build a partnership where we're transparent with the information we're sharing with each other. Um, because what makes our partners successful is really with what we're doing with our optimizations engines, right? Because we're not looking at the lead or the call that meets as meets the duration as the end goal. The end goal is what happens down the funnel, what happens a month, three months, six months down the line. So we have established good partnerships where we get disposition reports, where we get uh, different endpoints in the conversion funnel. So um, when we look at it as an upper funnel, upper funnel metric, we look at that duration. So say it's a Medicare, we know that um, a sale usually happens after 35 minutes or so our systems are optimizing towards that 35 minute mark. But then what happens after that, right? Um, we end, we ultimately end up optimizing towards the, the actual policy. Um, once we get enough data, we start looking at the user and what we notice is that the user isn't a one size fits all because one conversion uh one policy may have different behaviors and different interests than the policy that's sold right after so we have different strategies and we have different audiences that we layer on whenever we're building these campaigns and we all focus on value-based bidding 
um, which means that exactly that, right? Um, it, it means that every consumer has their own values. They have their own interests, behaviors, psychographics. Um, and so when we look at the uh, the end goal, whether it's a Medicare advertiser or a debt advertiser, we look at ultimately the, uh, the, the backend CPA and we're looking at what consumer drove that. And then we start building campaigns around that. So that can mean um, targeting, it can mean building certain creatives and angles for that type of consumer. And so, um, you know, building that transparency between with, with our partners and getting that information, that feedback loop it, it is going to help create not only volume, but performance, whether it be web leads or calls. O'Brien, I think I speak on behalf of Adam and Harrison when I say thank you for coming on the Affiliate Marketing Show. You crushed it. We'd love to have you back in the future. I'd also like to say thank you to Crack Revenue. What up? We love you. Thanks for sponsoring. We appreciate it. And I would like to say thank you for watching this episode of the Affiliate Marketing Show. Josh from Offer Vault, Daddy Callbucks, Adam Young, the industry legend Harrison Gewurz, as well as Brian Fernandez, the VP of Growth at DigiPeak Media. Let's make that paper. Let's make that dough. This was the Affiliate Marketing Show. We will see you next time.